My name is Leslie Payne. Welcome to day nine of Below the Median Income. Some background information about how I came up with this. First is the Jim Rohn quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Secondly, on March 12th, 2018, Director Joshua V. Barr of the Des Moines Civil and Human Rights Commission said, We have 75% of students experiencing some form of poverty in Des Moines public schools. So what can we do to improve that outlook? Research has shown that if a person remains in an impoverished condition up through their adolescent years, they are more likely to remain in that position as they become older and become adults. That information made me think of a person being in a space that they could see but were not participating in. It evolved into an idea for an art installation of aerial images of Des Moines displayed on the floor. The images placed the visitor outside the space they routinely travel. The audio components are interview recordings obtained from people involved with public or nonprofit organizations. The interviews tell the visitor about where that person routinely travels. The installation contrasts Des Moines ranking as a best-in-nation place to live, Iowa nice reputation of being overly friendly and go out of our way to help fellow citizens, and the visitor's personal story of where they travel in the city. You are listening to the audio component of my project. I didn't want the interviews to be an unheard story in a gallery setting. The best way I thought to prevent that was to make them available as a podcast. My guest for day nine is Joshua V. Barr. Yes, I finally told him. He is the director of the Des Moines Civil and Human Rights Commission. The mission of the organization is to advance justice, promote equality, and ensure the protection of human rights for all people in Des Moines through investigation, education, advocacy, and community engagement. The commission is charged with providing a public service to the community and is supported as part of city government. They are an impartial investigation agency which seeks to determine through investigation if a person was treated unfairly in violation of the city code they enforce. The organization is community-driven. They want to see and hear you at events. If you have questions, you can send them to humanrights at dmgov.org. Thank you for joining me, Joshua. What neighborhood do you live in? I live in Union Park neighborhood. Who do you live with? My wife. What languages do you speak? English, Espanol, and kids English. I'm a kid at heart, so I really only like to talk to kids when I'm not working. So I just, my nieces, my nephews. Finish the sentence. When I step outside the place I live, I see... Literally, I see a park. Union Park is right across the street from my house. In my mind, when I walk out into my world, I see a place that has the ability to do so much more. So many things that need to be done. In a country that is considered the most prosperous, and some people call it the greatest country in the world, Why do we have homeless people? We have 73% of students on free or reduced lunch, 68 of that being free, which is a sign of poverty. The thing is, especially regarding children, 
is regarding poverty. At first, the child belongs to the school system. But as he becomes an adult, he becomes a product of the government. If you don't address those inequities and that poverty, the person is more likely to make bad decisions. Because here's the thing, it's all about the environment. The environment is the invisible hand that shapes decisions. It's the invisible hand that shapes the choices people make. So your choices are only as good as your options, but your options are based on your environment. So what can we do to improve the environment? I think Des Moines is actually a good city. Don't get me wrong. People always think of what I'm critical, that I'm criticizing. I'm critical because I know that we can do better, that we can do more, and that we don't have to be satisfied with the status quo. Des Moines is a very safe place to live. But depending on where you live, it's safer in some places than others. We've seen an increase in crime over the past five years, but we've also seen an increase in poverty. Violence does not happen in a vacuum. So when I look outside my window, when I step outside my door, I see a place full of so much potential and that we work together, politicians, business persons, everyday working people, blue collar, white collar, school system, people who come through Des Moines. I think we can create a beautiful place where everyone has the opportunities to succeed. They may not grasp it, but the opportunity is there. But how are we opening up those doors and opening those windows of opportunity to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to succeed? I see a place where we can all grow and learn together because no person is an island. And I think Des Moines can do it if we just stop focusing on me, 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 and focus on we, 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 we. Where did you grow up? I grew up in South Carolina. I'm originally from Sumter, South Carolina, but my father's side of the family originates from Williamsburg County, King Street, South Carolina to be exact. That is where our enslaved ancestors were plantationed. My mother's side is from Kershaw County, South Carolina. That is where they were enslaved. I recently did a ancestry kit. I am part Bantu. I have a lot of African in me, but I also have some Native American and even some West European in me. 5%, only 5%. But <laughs> I actually grew up in a very Black conscious, knowing your African American history, but also as well as a very religious family and very faith-centered. I have continued to evolve as a human being and grow from the roots that have established, but where I originate from is South Carolina. And that has shaped me in a lot of ways, uh, the way I view the world, the way I see things. But I've been fortunate enough to also leave the country and live outside of the country. Lived in Colombia, South America. I have a very unique experience, especially on the experience of persons from a darker hue, both in this country, living in the post-antebellum South, and also 
as a person who knows the struggle of black persons outside of the United States. Do you vote in elections? If so, why is it important? I would say voting is just step one in the process of civic engagement. I think if you limit what your civic engagement only to voting, you aren't doing enough. I think that you have to first be informed, then vote, and then make people live up to the things that they promise. I don't believe in voting straight ticket. I believe in voting based on principles and based on history of action. I believe that you look at someone's principles, what they stand for, and then based on what they say they stand for, you fact check it. Is this what you actually stand for? If that person lives up to that, you vote for that person. But then you go to meetings, you write letters, you, you follow up, you go to that city council meeting. I believe that local elections are more important than federal elections because on a day-to-day basis, local elections affect you more than federal elections ever will. For example, there's a government shutdown right now, the federal government. Most people can't feel that. But if local government shut down tomorrow, you wouldn't have a fire department. If local government shut down tomorrow, you wouldn't have somebody come pick up your trash. If local government shut down tomorrow, you wouldn't have a police department. If local government shut down tomorrow, you may have problems with your water. I would tell people that you have to be using the word vote and vote alone, and especially in the black community. They only offer two solutions for the black community. That is pray and vote. Ask, what's the problem? Oh, that, pray. Oh, what's the other problem? Oh, vote. No. I, I think we have to be civically engaged, staying focused on the issue daily. I say the word daily, but that's so hard for people. A wise person once told me democracy is boring. And I found that in my work that that is true. Most people just want to actually watch Netflix and chill. But while you're chilling, people are suffering in that aspect. You need to get involved and stay involved. There are no days off. Evil people don't take a day off. Why should good people? If you consider yourself a good person, stay involved. But that doesn't mean that you have to stay focused on it 24-7. First of all, you have to sleep. Second of all, you know, willpower is a muscle. And if you keep pushing it and pushing it, you're going to get burnt out. Or what I like to say is iced out. Iced out means inconsistent, cynical, and emotional. So I really want people to do the things for the kid and you think it perks you up. But take a moment off. It don't take weeks. Don't take months. It don't take years and show up at an election promoting somebody, but you're not checking them to see if they're going to do what they promise. If they don't do what they promise, the power, if you really believe this is a democracy, which we're actually a republic, but if you believe we're a democracy, then part of the democracy is by the people, for the people. And therefore, if you believe that we're a democracy, you have to pay attention to what people are doing and hold those representatives accountable and say, if you don't do what you promise to do, we're going to vote you out. Most people in power want to stay in power, and they're going to do, therefore, what they promise to do. So, yes, I am a voter, but I am not limited to voting. What's something you do for yourself? How do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> um, like a treat for yourself, guilty 
pleasure, kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. want to share I got you. Those two. No, 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 that's fine. I just wanted to make sure I was clear. All right. So it's one thing I'm learning. For me, one of the things that I'm really learning is really trying to do something for the kid in me. Understanding that that person is still there, still inside of me, still has certain joys and things, even though I'm an adult. Even though I really would rather be a Toys R Us kid if you catch that. But I think for me, one of the things I really try to do is watch something enjoyable. I have had the habit of cutting off things that I feel don't help the cause of addressing social economic injustice. And I'm doing myself a disservice by doing that because there will be moments of fatigue, moments where I fall down, moments where I stumble. And that is because I'm not doing things that feed into the dopamine into my brain to give me the pleasure and enjoyment. Now I'm learning to do things that are enjoyable for the kid. So a few weeks back, I was lagging on work and I was like, man, why don't you just watch Ant-Man, a Marvel movie? So I watched it. It was enjoyable. It was good. I watched it with my wife. So she got the laugh about it too. And I went back to work. It did something that fed that kid in me, that dopamine, that pleasure, pleasure load in my brain that actually gave me the strength to move forward. What I'm trying to do now, I'm really trying to block out at least three or four times a week time to do the things that I want to do regarding that are non-work related. So that would be something like watching a movie. And some of those movies are educational or documentaries, but I'm mixing in others that are not just enjoyment. You can take away something from almost any movie. I watched <laughs> Big Hero 6 yesterday. And man, I took a lot away from that movie just working with and never giving up. So there's always something you can take away. I shouldn't shut myself off from the things that used to give me pleasure. I just need to know how to use it right. And don't drown myself in those things because they're, but once again, while you're chilling, the people are suffering. So just watch things that are enjoyable. My guilty pleasure of guilty pleasures is probably anime and manga. I got hooked on that Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon when I was like 11th to 12th grade, and I still watch that stuff. So that is probably my guilty of guiltiest pleasures. How has volunteering your time changed your outlook? Oh, man. I think the most impactful thing I've ever volunteered at was when I lived in Columbia, South America, I worked with a group of people who went into the poor neighborhoods of Columbia, very poor, not American poor, but much poor, living in shanty towns, shacks. And, there, and not to say that, that that doesn't exist here, it does, it's just not at the same level. I volunteered there in it was the greatest experience of my life. I did it for two years. I wasn't getting any money. It was on a Saturday. It was always on the weekend. I got up. Originally, we went there to teach kids English because they're more multinational corporations that are going there. We had Coca-Cola, Pepsi, GM, Ford. And so we wanted to teach them English to give them a leg up as they become teenagers and adults. But once we got up, they realized, wow, they had bigger problems than just learning English. So we really work with the community. The emphasis is working with, not doing things for, not telling them what they need. And that's one reason why we decided to not take the emphasis off English, but do more 
We helped them do clothing drives. We would bring in clothes and they would sell them to members of the community. One reason why they sold them is because they didn't want to just make it a handout. They wanted people to understand the value of a dollar, to appreciate what they have. We helped install roads because they used to be on, they were on mountains, on the valley. Nothing but mud. And when it rained, it just mud just washed everything away. So we helped install concrete streets through another organization. Uh, we helped install lights in some of their homes. Volunteering, first of all, to see those people who are poor, but together. You know, one thing I've learned in life is that poverty brings people together. Wealth separates people. With poverty, all you have is you, you the people. You get wealth, you start thinking about these things are mine. I don't want to share. I mean, these all are mine. Now stay away. These are mine. Precious, my precious. <laughs> that was really life changing for me. And it's really given me a, a better shift and ability to serve better. So volunteering has impacted me by helping me see that, first of all, the power is really in the people. You shouldn't do things for people. When we help construct those streets, those villagers were right there. We helped install lights, they were right there. They ran the clothing drive. We gave the clothes, but they ran the clothing drive. We didn't do anything for them. We did things with them together, listening to the community. And, you know, I'm still connected to that community to this very day. When is the last time you asked for help? Help on the job or just Anyone you want to share? You know, I'll, I'll say this. Delegation is hard for me just because... I just don't think most people are as passionate about certain things as I am. Certain people have jobs and they only do it because it's a job and they don't put the thought, the time, the dedication to do it right, do it correct. One person I've really leaned on lately is the equity coordinator at my job, Nisha Padel. She's really good at what she does. Prominent person said, She's watering your fire. And I was like, wow, that's a really good analogy. She can get things done effectively. So I left the country for two weeks and I asked her to do a number of things. She just got it done. It was really nice to know that you can have people you can depend on. And not saying that other people aren't dependable, but she was the last person I really asked for help and other members of the team as well. And I'm learning to lean and delegate more to people, to my teammates, to my office. But it takes time. It's something that we, as people, need to understand. One of the biggest problems is the way we teach history. We teach history in the hero-shero complex, more hero than shero. Teach that one person can do it all. And that is the biggest fallacy we can ever teach people. When you look throughout history, no person has ever accomplished anything of significance alone. Throughout history, you give me a person, I can break down the example. So, for example, people say, oh, well, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Thomas Edison had 200 mucksters. He had a factory, he had a plant, he had people running the experience daily. But it was his company, therefore he got the credit. I'm not saying he didn't invent the light bulb, but he didn't invent it alone. Lincoln, they say he freed the slaves. 
Lincoln never picked up a gun. And it wasn't until Lincoln finally in 1863 that said African-Americans, men can now fight in the war that the Civil War ended in less than a year. Lincoln never picked up a gun. He didn't free the slaves. The slaves freed themselves because they knew they were not slaves, but they were people with dignity and that deserved to be treated with dignity. Martin Luther King, talk about him. He was a leader in the civil rights movement, but there were many leaders. James Farmer, Core, Whitney Young, Urban League, Roy Wilkins, NAACP. There was a number of people who led it, but at the end of the day, the civil rights movement would have never been won except for by young people. It was people in SNCC, the young people in Core, who really agitated the masses and really got the masses organized and allowed King to come in, speak to the people, and move the strategy forward. And when people went to jail, it was the NAACP that got them out of jail. And when matters were getting worse in the South, it was Whitney Young and the Urban League who was talking to Leonard Johnson as well as King and, and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the organization that King was a part of, that really kept things moving. It was young people that drove the civil rights movement. And even Jesus Christ had 12 disciples. So that means even the Savior needed help. And so I, I, I think... We do ourselves a disservice when we think that one person can do it alone. The key thing is, is to find other people who care, identify their talents and their passions, put them on that path, and whatever you're focused on, utilize your teammates' talents and passions to get things done. That is how it should be in no other way. Because if you think you can do it out here alone, you will surely fail. There is more evil to overcome then one good person can accomplish in this world. And until we start thinking like that, things will not change. We need teammates. How did you find out about Des Moines? I did a job. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the attorney role at my previous position, South Carolina Human Affairs Commission. We I was hired to be more aggressive, and I felt like I was. We were able to get more cases in court. We were able to get more cause cases that ever come through the office. So I felt like, and we retrained the employees there, so they were now had an eye of what to look for. I felt like I did the job that needed to be done. It was only so much higher I could go. It was either I was staff attorney, so I was pretty much at the top. The only spot left was to be the director. And I'm impatient. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually posting a job on a website, silverrights.org. And this one came up. It was the first job up. And I looked at it, saw what they were asking for. I didn't see a requirement for a cover letter because I hate writing them. And <laughs> so I just submitted my resume and they called me up. I went through the interview process. They offered me the job. I turned it down because when I came here, they only showed me the good parts, the good things. They took me on the tour downtown and took me to you know, the sculpture park and a few other places I don't remember. But it was only good stuff. You know, civil rights work is honorable, but it's not glamorous. Meaning it's honorable because you serve, but it's not about, you know, smiling in politicians' faces and business persons' faces all the time. You really have to dive into where the hurry is, where the problems are, 
because the people closest to the problems are typically closest to the solutions. So my goal is to really eradicate and address inequities and injustice, especially socioeconomic injustice. I didn't really see any of those problems here. So when they called me off my job, I told them no. Thought I'd never hear from them again. But they called me up and they're like, well, we don't understand. You'd be making substantially more money than you would at your current job. It was almost double the pay. Not to say that this pay is great, but the other pay was really bad. And it goes back to my history of South Carolina. You hold everybody down so everyone suffers. Even the oppressor that's holding the other people down. You cut everybody's pay because they don't want a certain group of people to rise up, in particular in South Carolina, that would be African-Americans. So they called me up and I told them, you know, I don't work for money. And they're like, well, what do you work for? I said, I want to be a change agent. I want to go to a place where I can actually make change. And what you showed me, I didn't see any problems. And therefore, even in South Carolina, I know we have problems, so I might as well just stay where I am. They went, oh, come back, we got problems. I flew me back on a weekend, gave me a completely different tour. Took me to places, they took me to struggle. I got to see passionate people about some of the issues happening in the city and happening in the metro area. And it gave me a different outlook. First time they interviewed me, second time I was interviewing them, just to make sure like I am a change agent. I have a very progressive outlook. And if you want the status quo, don't hire me. And that's actually a quote in the newspaper. You can look it up. They told me they allowed me to do the things I wanted to do in South Carolina that I couldn't do. But, you know, I had a whole plan on how to address some of the rural challenges, especially after the Dillon Roof shooting and the Walter Scott shooting in South Carolina, which I was there for. So I wasn't able to implement that plan because certain people just didn't want to see those things come to be. And I just didn't really want to work with cowards. And being a director, really writing my own ship was... Something that I wanted to see if I could do it. So far, it looks like I've been somewhat successful. It hasn't been all roses and, and flowers, but we've made some we've made some strides. Not as much as I would like, but we've definitely made some strides.